You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving, and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. Well, today is a a really interesting interview that I'm going to have with a new friend and an old friend. And we're going to talk about something that I believe is going to be on the minds of a lot of people who are working in offices or thinking about going back to the office as a result of COVID and the times that we spent away from offices. And my two friends here have written a book entitled Office Shock. And it is a fascinating study and a lot of foresight on how we should begin thinking about how we return to work, and in fact, what the purpose of an office is to begin with as a precursor for that thought. I won't get into it anymore. I'm going to let them talk about it. And my guests are Christine Bullen. Christine is a fellow at the Institute for the Future an organization that you've heard me mention many times on this podcast. I consider the IFTF the preeminent place to go for futures thinking. And Christine has also been at the inimitable institution called MIT. Christine Bullen was the director of the Center for Information Systems Research and she is now at IFTF, and she got together with my other partner and longtime friend, Bob Johansson, who's been on this podcast before. Uh, Bob is a senior fellow at the Institute for the Future, and he has written more than a dozen books helping us better arrive at the future and maybe arrive at the future a little bit early. This latest book, Office Shock, I've been really excited to hear more about and to present to you, because as I said, I know that how we come back to work or how we engage in the office space is something that is very relevant to what we're experiencing today. And I dare say something that we're going to have to work out over the next decade or so. So Christine and Bob, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Art. Well, you know, there's a lot of places to begin with this, but Bob, let me start with you and just ask a basic question. Why this book? Why now? I know that seems pretty obvious, but why this book? Why now? And 
Are there things that you were thinking about before writing the book that sort of led you to want to in, engage in some study and now some information sharing about this particular topic? Sure. So the why now is we're all in this very noisy period now, this very noisy now. And part of that noisy now is how we work and how we live. The COVID shutdown forced us. It scattered us with the shock of not being able to go to physical offices anymore. It wasn't an option. It was a requirement that we figure out how to work differently in different kind of ways. And for office workers, it meant we had to figure out how to do office work with no offices. And that's when we came up with the idea of, is there a way to apply foresight, thinking future back, apply foresight to understand this shock, this office shock, which is an unsettling change in how, where, when, and even why, even why we work. Christine, let me ask you, we're just getting to know each other, so to speak. And you're now doing work at IFTF. Is this where you and Bob connected? And was it Bob who sort of recruited you or did you recruit him for this project? Good question. (laughs) Bob and I have actually known each other for more than 40 years. (laughs) I know we look very young. but You do. um, He and I worked together when I was at the research center at MIT. And that was the beginning of when we, we started to, to do research together. He actually contacted me about the ideas for this book and asked me if I wanted to be involved. And I was really so excited about what he was proposing that I said yes with only a little arm twisting. <laughs> well, I'm always excited when Bob calls me and says, I got an idea I want, to, want you to right. work with me on. So uh, it's always exciting and, and very gratifying when it's all over, too. So I get that entirely. Well, what about the book, Christine, that made you feel you need to be involved in this, given your experience and background? Well, the, the concept of the core, which Bob is going to talk about in more detail, the seven what we call spectrums, which are areas that people really need to be considering when they're talking about their work and their life and what they want to, how they want to make it better in the future. These were, were so insightful that I saw not only an interesting discussion, but actually giving people a tool that they can use to help make these decisions about what future they want to see and live in. Fantastic. So let's get into the book a little bit now. So first of all, let me just tell our audience that we're going to do this interview in two segments. The first segment is going to cover the first three items in the spectrum. And the second interview will cover the final four. So you'll want to make sure that you watch and listen to both of these to really gather the elements that are contained in this new book, Office Shock. But what I want to do now is begin talking about the first three. 
So, Bob, why don't you kick it off and give us some idea, first of all, about how the book is organized and maybe take us through elements of those first three spectrums that you're talking about. Sure. And what we're trying to do here is to help people make smart choices about where they work and when they work, how they work, and and even how they live. What's the mix of work and, and home life? And of course, we've had this overlap now between work and home life that's created some really neat opportunities and a lot of challenges. So uh, this introduction and the COVID shutdown was very unfair in the sense that it was great for some people, but it was really hard if you didn't have a place to work at home or you didn't have a good internet connection. So what we're doing in the book is giving you a future back view to help you make smarter choices. So strategic foresight, which is what we practice at Institute for the Future, it's really not predicting the future. It's provoking your choices by having thought future back from 10 years ahead. So as we did our research, and Christine and I are co-authors, but our third co-author is Joseph Press, uh, also out of MIT. He's an architect by training who has become a digital transformation expert. So the architecture was very important. Christine's background in information systems was very important. My background as a sociologist and a person studying the human impacts, and of course, being a futurist for a long time, um, was an important part of this mix too. So what the seven spectrums of choice do is introduce a framework for choice making. And so much of the noisy present is focused on when do we go back to the office? <laughs> and and we're saying, yeah, that's a neat question. But for us, after we've thought about this, after we've thought future back about this, the question of when to go back to the office is number six out of seven spectrums of choice. And the first spectrum of choice is why do we need an office at all? <laughs> and there are some really good answers to that question, but it should be a question asked, not an assumption made. And these seven spectrums of choice begin with purpose. You know, why the office? Then we think about outcomes. What are the outcomes you're seeking from the office? And we drill down deeper in the third spectrum on climate. Because as futurists thinking 10 years out, climate's going to be essential, not only to thriving, but even to surviving in some parts of the world. Then we ask the question of how, how do we create a sense of belonging in this virtual space? And in-person meetings and offices, they're better for getting to know people, for building a corporate culture. But in many cases, we won't have that available. Then we ask on this future look, we ask what kind of augmentation will become possible? Because 10 years from now, we're all going to be cyborgs at some level. We're all going to be enhanced. We're all going to be augmented. And the question, the really human question is, what are the things humans do best? And what are the things we want to keep for ourselves? And what are the things that we could do better with augmentation? And then six out of seven, we get to the question of, where and when do we want to work? And we coined the new term office first, which is basically the metaverse applied to offices. And then finally, how do you hold it all together? The seventh spectrum of choice is all about agility. Now, in this episode, we're going to focus at the beginning 
And we're going to begin with purpose. You know, why, why an office at all? So, Christine, let me ask you that question. Why an office at all? <laughs> now, before you get into that answer, I just want to say that some would immediately think or say, well, office because we have this massive lease that <laughs> our lease runs for another decade and there are going to be people in this building no matter what. And we have heard that. And I'm sure that that's not the, the right why. I mean, I know that's one of the reasons, but it's also because I think people like to get together, right? I mean, people want to feel this closeness and this connection, but what do you, what would you say to that question? How should people think about that question? Well, the whole point of the, the spectrums is that it's a range of possibilities to consider. So for example, on, on this question of purpose, it starts with individual at the bottom, your purpose, you know, what, what do I get out of going to an office? And then it moves up this scale to collective. So you can make a decision anywhere along that spectrum. And so as Bob was saying, we're not telling you what to do. We're not saying, you know, why you should go to an office. We're saying in thinking about going to an office, what purpose are you hoping to solve in, in answering that question? And the other important thing here is we've written this from the point of view of the individual an organization's leadership, and community policymakers. So the question of purpose is an individual one, also one that management has to think about in terms of their organization. What is the purpose of our organization? And for example, bringing people to a building. And the third one is in terms of policy and communities, small, worldwide, again, what what is the purpose of going to an office? And you can make all kinds of decisions there. As I said, it's a spectrum. And that's what we're hoping people will think about, the range of possibilities. Yeah. Again, some people would say, well, the purpose is so that my manager can look over my shoulder all day and make sure that I'm working. Yeah, it's a good point. And there still are some managers who believe that art, who think if they can see somebody at their desk, that means they're working. The interesting thing that came out of COVID shutdowns, though, was that there was remarkable productivity in spite of the fact they weren't in the office, actual measurable productivity. So it's caused a questioning of assumptions about the value of observation to measure performance and what the other ways of measuring measuring performance might be. Yeah, it's a fascinating question because there are two people in our organization that I've only met once in person. <laughs> you know, they were hired right at the beginning of COVID. One of them works somewhat remotely, about 100 miles from the office. And there just hasn't been an opportunity for us to get together, although we're planning to get together a bit more. But they've done just fine. They've done great work. Mm -hmm. um, we're very pleased with their performance. I think they appreciate the interesting the opportunity to work in our organization. But yet, I think we're also trying to figure out, you know, we need to get together a little bit more. Yeah. So I really appreciate what I really appreciate about what you're presenting 
is this idea of a spectrum for these considerations. You're adding much more nuance to what we like to think of as a binary question. Yes. Do we have an office or don't we? Yeah. That- Are we remote? You know, and that nuance is really, I think, uh, helpful to people who are trying to make decisions. I I would imagine, though, Bob, it's not comforting to some people if they can't get that certainty. You know, a lot of people like to know, are we in office or aren't we in office? Yeah, yeah. And when you add this element of nuance, it gets for them a bit more complex. But I think that's also the reality, though, right? No, definitely right. And the question really is, what are the values of meeting in person, whether it's in an office or somewhere else? And we know from the research that meeting in person is better for orientation, you know, like getting to know someone, for trust building, and for renewal, and for early stage creative processes. We know that. That's well documented. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's most productive for everything. And the real question is, what's the mix? And as Christine said, the mix can vary by individuals. I'm particularly concerned in this case about young people who in many cases have to get to know others, have to learn from others and teach others. So cross-generational mentoring is so important and it really does happen better in person, but it doesn't necessarily have to happen in an office. One of the groups we studied is a, a very conservative company from the Midwest. They're pretty much exclusively now in a hybrid work arrangement where they're not coming to the office regularly. They're coming to the office three times a year for one week at a time. And it's focused on getting to know people and renewing. And it's it's, it's probably more of a party than it is of a work <laughs> event because they're really celebrating their work together, but it's the one time of the year they have together. They even call the big event of the year the homecoming. You know, it's like a homecoming and they have a homecoming celebration, but most of the work gets done remotely. Well, let's talk about the second element here. Great. So that's output or outcomes. And, you know, where the first part, uh, the question of purpose, that's focused on meaning, on purpose, on applying it to yourself. And it could be collective, it could be individual, but outcomes is focusing on results, (laughs) results. Uh, And the result is how do you measure the output of the office? And the scale here that we're focusing on is really a scale from shareholder value, which is really profit or individual performance by the business, if it's a business or if it's a nonprofit, what are your outputs? And then at the other end, it's the stakeholder or the community benefit. What's the benefit you're providing with others? And again, it's a spectrum. It's a sliding scale. And it varies for individuals, for organizations, for for communities. But the question we're asking is, what's the output of the office. And then we're asking people to make the choice of what, where do you want to be on that sliding scale? And increasingly, we we talk in the book a lot about the uh, very innovative economist in Europe called Mariana Mazzucata. And and she argues very articulately that we need community engagement to innovate and we need economic performance. So it isn't just focused on profit. It's also focused on community impact. And how do we rethink that mix? And 
certainly COVID caused us to realize that there are some things that we have to do together and we have to figure out a way to do those things together. And many companies stepped up during that COVID period and showed that they can think about impacts much more broadly than thinking very narrowly about their own profitability. So Christine, my next question to you is going to be, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you more about whether you felt the output question for organizations is more tied to that lack of nuance. So when we think of production and we think of performance, uh, we don't necessarily think of it as a precursor for making a decision for where to, I guess we do. I guess we think about, we, we think we can perform better if we're in an office, but we don't necessarily think that we should think about the office in terms of what we want to produce, I guess. We just, we just kind of assume that we should be in an office and it's going to produce what we want it to produce. Remember, it's not just output, it's outcomes. Outcomes. Right. So a lot of the, the issues with the range going from the traditional profit, as Bob said, for the stockholders to outcomes that might be much broader in terms of bringing benefits to a larger community, what we're calling prosperity. So this whole question of outcomes is really important for nonprofit organizations that really are mission-based. They're not really thinking about profitability, although nonprofits have to sort of generate some margins so that they can operate into the future. But the idea of giving money away to shareholders is not one that nonprofits think about. But so this whole question of outcomes is really important to nonprofits. And I don't know if many of us just assume that in order to produce those outcomes, we need to be in an office. Or if we think in advance, what type of office do we need to produce the kind of outcomes that we want? And I don't know what you're thinking on that, Christine, is, but um, I would love for you to just sort of give us some insight on whether we're thinking correctly when we think about office as a place to produce outcomes. I think that's that's a great question. Bob mentioned earlier his concern about younger people in the office. And I think what we saw in doing this research is the kids are angry. And kids are angry about how many of the organizations work today. And outcomes is an important part of that. They don't necessarily want to work for someone who just produces some consumer product to be sold to make money. They're much more interested in what benefit is the company that I'm working for bringing to the world. And so in that sense, I think that's very similar to what we think about for nonprofits as well. There's much more of a concern for these people, the young people, about working for companies that have very good outcomes, which involve some of our, our other spectrums like equity and equality and uh, non-discriminatory policies, et cetera. So the outcomes can be viewed in a very, very broad sense. And this actually goes back to purpose too. Yeah. A lot of these young people are very concerned about the purpose 
of the organization that they're working for. And this has nothing to do with where you are, whether you're in a building or working from home. It has to do with a much broader philosophy of, am I working for a company that I feel good about? So when you think about that, when you think about these outcomes, it's really important, I guess, for an organization to ask, how do we achieve the outcomes? Independent of any thought about place, right? We should be thinking about what is it that we're trying to do in terms of our outcomes and then see if an office has a place in that, right? <laughs> Rather than exactly. the other way around. It seems, I think that's what, what we're trying to get at here. And talk about, if you would, the spectrum aspect of that. Is that does that mean that we have to look at each one of our outcomes and ask the question, how is an office going to help us get there? Maybe there's some outcomes that we absolutely need an office to help us get to. But maybe there are others that maybe an office is not so important for us when it comes to achieving them. What's the thinking on that, Bob? So exactly. The the spectrum varies depending on the situation and the challenge and the kind of outcomes you're seeking. And what COVID taught us was that flexibility is also an outcome. You know, how what's the outcome of the office if you live a, a long, painful commute away? What's the cost of the outcome of the office if you need to take your kids somewhere, but you can't do it? because you're at the office. What's the outcome cost if you have an emergency at home and you can't respond? So one of the outcomes, and this links to our other spectrum that we're gonna talk about in the next episode around belonging, but it also links to outcomes, that the outcome includes uh, your outcomes in terms of your ways of working, as well as your outcomes in terms of the products that your company or your non profit uh, creates. So this really links not only to productivity, it links to talent. And the best talent learned during COVID that flexibility is an option (laughs) in a way that they didn't realize before. And, you know, in the early days of the COVID crisis, this was called the great resignation. And, And then it was called the great reset. And now it's called quiet quitting. I think all of those names miss the point of this is a great opportunity to rethink the outcomes we're seeking, both the outcomes for individuals and for organizations and even even for society. Let, let me add briefly that there's also an element here of age, the age of the company, the age of the individual, so that when... Remember, this outcome spectrum goes from profit to prosperity. Well, when you're very young and starting out in the workforce, you may not have the luxury of thinking about the the prosperity of others. You may really need your income to take care of yourself or your family or whatever. So that that's that's part of figuring out where you are on the spectrum. And the same thing is true of, of a company, a very young startup may be in a very different location on this spectrum than mature organization that can sit back and say, okay, we've done a lot for our stockholders. Now, what can we really do for the world at large, for stakeholders in general? 
Well, you know, you you bring to mind a lot of the conversation that we're having around the purpose of a corporation. We've heard, you know, many people say that a company doesn't exist anymore simply for shareholders. There are many stakeholders that are involved, as in the case of nonprofits. You know, we have lots of stakeholders that have to be considered. And, uh, you know, one of the things we, we want to always make sure we're doing yes. is is we're paying attention to who those stakeholders are because they are going to either <laughs> yes, enable definitely. us to succeed or they're going to help us fail. <laughs> and an important stakeholder, which is yeah. often overlooked, are the employees themselves. Yeah. So in this, I have to ask about this particular stakeholder, the landlord. How do we think about landlords in, in this environment? If you're in the landlord business, I guess you have to begin thinking about how you can still add value to organizations that are transitioning. Maybe there's some new opportunities for even landlords as you think about this, right? Well, I think there are opportunities for landlords and there's threats. Mm -hmm. uh, during the course of this, we interviewed some of the researchers who are studying the real estate, commercial real estate market in New York City. And it was described to us as one of these, by one of these researchers as a house of cards, mostly owned by people outside of the US. The real estate market in many urban areas is, is very uncertain given these options that are taking place. So what's gonna have to happen from a real estate point of view is they're gonna have to think about office shock to come back and make a case for why office buildings are important. And, and it's why they're important for individuals, why are they important for organizations, why are they important for communities. And office buildings can be very positive, but you have to consciously think about it. And again, it's a, it's a question asked. And thinking of it future back, you get a much clearer impression of that question that, than if you think of it in the noisy now. Another interview I did just recently was from with the CEO of a large Midwestern company, and we were talking about office shock, and he really wanted his people back in the office uh, so he could see them and so they could build community and all that stuff. But what he said was, when, when I said, well, the purpose of the office is orientation, trust building, renewal, early stage creativity, and and he looked around his office and he said, you know, this this office isn't very good for any of those things. <laughs> and and the worst thing is you have people driving an hour and a half for the commute and then they close their office door and do a Zoom meeting. I mean, that that's a negative scenario. So we the real estate people have to ask, what is the value of the office? They got to know this research. They got to know future back. And then they got to offer office buildings that deliver, that deliver the kind of outcomes that people are seeking, uh, or else they're in great jeopardy. Because I, I think clearly future back, we're going to have fewer offices, less need for commercial office space. That's clear from our research. The only question is how much less, <laughs> how many fewer I think there are some interesting trends that we're seeing as well. There was an article, I believe it was last week in the New York Times, about how people are converting what have been purely office buildings into combination residential and office. And that actually hits it at two really good things, because people could actually live 
near where they work. And so if they wanted to go to an office and so no commute, but there, there has to be creative thinking on the parts of these landlords about what to do with these physical assets. So I was just going to flip it the other way, Christine, and just ask, what about the people who now have the option of working very remotely? So I can work in a New York City-based nonprofit living in Idaho and really produce for that organization in a way that maybe some people wouldn't be able to produce. I can give my New York nonprofit a perspective in our society that maybe folk living in New York City can't give. And, you know, how do we how do we work that? Because my thinking is, Bob, it also relates back to something I heard a few years ago at Institute for the Future about how we're moving around and how that will affect the climate issue in some ways, because Mm -hmm. we're moving in from the coastlines and that's going to have some effect on how we use land. Um, you, you mentioned before land usage was going to be a big issue. So how did all of this office flux, this office change dynamic affect how we're living and working and may even affect land use to some extent? Yeah, it's going to have an impact. Uh, and this is our third spectrum of choice, which we think of as climate impact. And the spectrum here goes from net zero to regenerative, to climate positive. And net zero seems to us as futurists as the minimum. And offices in general have not been great in terms of environmental impact and the resulting commutes. And not only that, even the construction has not been great. Uh, So this is a chance to rethink, to restart, to reimagine the climate impacts of offices. And it is possible to have a much more climate positive way of working and way of living. And this is, again, a great opportunity to do that. But over the next decade, if you think future back, it's really the decade of choice. It's the decade where things hit the fan, if we're not careful, where things go so badly that it's going to be very hard to pull them back. And again, Chris mentioned earlier the fact that kids are angry. Kids are most angry about climate. Uh, It's the Greta Thunberg sort of driven model where she brought it all to life. But the kids are very concerned about this. And during COVID, there were alternative ways of working, alternative ways of living that can be much more climate positive. But we're going to have to figure out what those are and make them happen. Yeah. Christine, you know, I'm one of the older people and I still think about this climate issue because if I'm lucky, I might live another 20 or 30 years, you know. And, And so for me, Uh, and people my age who intend to be vital as long as we're here. And I understand from another book, I want to just give a shout out to uh, my colleague, um, Michael Clinton wrote a book called Roar to Mm -hmm. help us think about what we do in our second and maybe even our third careers and how office and location might play into that, giving us choices to to do different kinds of things, either from home or from an office or from a beach, for that matter, <laughs> you know, from a golf course, uh, to be able to mix different um, 
styles and aspects of living into our work. How does the book help us think about that and this whole issue of movement of people and climate? Well, we we talk about the fact that there are people who call themselves digital nomads. They can live anywhere they want, a tropical island, which has all of the, the personal benefits to them of living someplace they really love and still work effectively because they, the technology is there to support that. So I think there, there are opportunities for people to be happier and therefore much more productive. Bob mentioned earlier the ability to tap talent wherever it is. You don't, you're not limited in hiring by where your physical location is. You can put together worldwide teams and bring in talent you might never have been able to have before, again, because the technology will support that. And I think in terms of the older generation, I'm there too, <laughs> not having to physically get up and go to an office somewhere is actually wonderful. I mean, if I can work from the comfort of my home, I can be productive, I think, much longer in my lifetime than if I were still trying to physically go somewhere to get something done. Yeah, I think what you'll see are, if you think future back, the word retirement is actually obsolete. I don't think we'll even be using that word 10 years from now. Uh, I, I met Bill Bradley a while back, and he likes the term refirement instead of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that you kind of regenerate or reimagine or recycle or redirect your life a number of times during your life. And it's not just a block of time till you're 65 where you start and then you stop. It's more of a blend, but it's very flexible. So again, this flexibility has increased dramatically. And the research that was done during COVID by the Blue Zones Project uh, about linking back to purpose was that purpose-driven people are happier, they're healthier, they live up to seven years longer. Uh, because they're purposely driven, purpose-driven organizations are higher performing and people who live in purpose-driven organizations are happier, healthier, and they live up to 14 years longer. So we know based on this research and based on this future back view that what we need is a, a fertile, flexible, dynamic environment that allows people to pursue their purpose but also have more positive outcomes in a, in a general way. And flexibility is what ties it all together. It's what we think of as the, the office verse or the factory verse or the retail verse, you know, depending on what world you're in. But it all links back to purpose and it all shifts forward to outcomes, positive outcomes. Well, this is terrific. So we're going we're gonna to end this particular segment now. And I want to let our audience know that there will be a follow-up to this where we will get into the four concluding spectrums that help us really understand this office shock that we're dealing with right now. And so right now, let me just thank Bob and Christine for joining me today. And to all of our guests, stay tuned. You're going to hear a lot more. And in the meantime, what you might want to do is order a copy of the book because no matter what we say here, you're going to get a lot more if you get a chance to actually read the book. There's also a website that I would direct you to. It's called 
office officeshock.org where there are also some other materials and visuals that you can use that'll help you better understand this concept of office shock and how we deal with it over the next decade. So thank you for listening and Bob and Christine, thank you again. And we'll see you back here very soon. Thank you, Art. Yes. Thank you very much. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.